You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. If you've got a Bible, um, I'd love it if you could turn to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is in the New Testament, and we're going to be looking at a passage in there. Just want to say, um, if you're visiting us or you've just sort of lost track slightly where we are, we've actually done six weeks looking at the Gospel Revolution as a church, and now we're doing six weeks looking at Healthy Church. We've done the first two weeks. The first one was commitment, and then last week I spoke on community, but now we're going to look at healthy church serving, healthy church serving. In case you're not familiar with the gospel, John 13 is the beginning of the second half. He's basically telling the life of the story of Jesus. The first half, Jesus has been dealing with crowds of people, and there's been lots of signs that are pointing to who Jesus is. The second half tends to be focused much more on the disciples. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 17, John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served... And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. So around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath only needs to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that we get to read about this story of you interacting with your disciples over this meal. Some of us would have heard this many times. I pray you'd speak afresh to us. 
For some of us, it may be the first time we think, well, what's that got to do with me today? We ask that you'd speak to us. We thank you that you're more willing to speak than often we are to listen. And so I ask right now that literally spiritually our ears would be opened and we would hear from God for your glory. Amen. So I'm going to go through this whole thing. It's, it's a bit of a funny story, if we're really honest. The whole thing of feet washing is not something that we do. Let's be, let's be really honest. I've got my shoes. I've got my socks on. When you turned up at church today, nobody offered to wash my feet. I, I don't know if you've ever been to someone's house and they said, you know, wash your feet. I think the closest I could ever think of commenting on this was when I've been camping with young people. You know what I'm saying? And, and after three or four days, you think, somebody here needs to take a shower. I'm not going to get involved, but I'm just telling you, you smell. Whereas, why did they do this whole feet washing? Well, in those days, when they walked along the road, they weren't t- the road wasn't tarmac. It was unsurfaced and unclean. People and animals all went along the same route. If it had rained, it was wet and muddy. If it was dry, it was dusty. Your feet got filthy. They didn't have the problem in those days of socks and sandals. People just wore sandals. That, that was just the way things went on. And so whenever you entered a house, your feet were meant to be washed. And it, 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 was, it was the lowest of the lows job to do this. So if you were a servant and you were Jewish, you would not be asked to do this job. It's almost like you had a separate servant that would come and do this that was a non-Jew. The Bible would call those Gentiles. That would include all of us, most of us, I'm sure, in the room. And it would be your job to wash the feet. And it's, you know, it's almost like a sign of making somebody feel welcome. Why don't we do this anymore? Let's be frank, we've got doormats. I mean, that's the honest truth, isn't it? So this whole role has been replaced by a doormat. You, you know, hopefully you go in someone's house and you just brush your feet off and in you go. So what's this got to do with us? Well, I think this was a powerful, powerful picture. And we've got to look again at the picture. You've got to remember that when Jesus um, shared this with the disciples, and, and when it's recorded, only about 10, 15% of the population were readers. So most of them would have remembered the story, seen the story, and thought, oh, wow. There's two points I want to bring out of this. The first is I think this is a symbol that we need to be washed, spiritually cleaned. And secondly, I believe it's a model of how we are to serve. So let's look at the first one. This is a symbol of being washed. I I wish I had time to go through it all, and unfortunately I haven't. But the Passover is mentioned several times in the book of John. And it says there, doesn't it? It was at the Passover feast. The Passover lamb was the innocent one who was submitted to slaughter on behalf of the guilty. You could read all about that in the Old Testament. That was the festival that they were celebrating. And basically, you, you would say, well, look, I've done wrong, but this one's perfect. It was a spotless lamb. That would die in my place. And there's this sense of, of Jesus we know was considered to be, what's it saying, John 1, at the beginning of this gospel? John 1, 29, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so there'd always been this picture with Passover, you're going to have this, pass, this perfect lamb, and now this, suddenly this story takes place. Oh, it's the Passover. With well, the Passover, we think of the lamb. And, and, and he was the one that would, 
cleanse the sin. Oh, golly, we've got this, this, this story of cleansing. Jesus knew, it says here, that his time had come. His whole, his whole purpose, life had a purpose. I was chatting to somebody this week, and, and they were just saying they don't believe in the afterlife at all. They don't believe in heaven or hell. They don't believe in a God. And so actually, they said, actually, I've got no purpose whatsoever. It's almost like I could live payday to payday. Grab as much as I can. Whereas Jesus, we know his whole life had a purpose. When we think about Christmas, and I know when I was a school teacher, we used to ban the C word, as we used to call it, until the 1st of December. But we've mentioned it several times this morning already. When we think about Christmas, Jesus was given the name. Jesus. Why? Well, it tells us in Matthew one twenty one because he will save his people from their sins. And so it's almost like right at the beginning of his life, this is the purpose that he's coming for. He was aware that it, that was his time. And then here he is. He's keen to show the full extent of his love. John is keen to present God as active and loving. We know the most famous verse of this book, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so here again, we've got Jesus almost saying, well, I'm coming to demonstrate something of the love of God. Paul writes about this in Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're not used to the singing that we've done this morning, or you think, what are some of these words? We cannot help but get excited, because honestly, we think sin, not a word we use loads. Let's be frank, I, I, I regret doing something this week. Oh, I feel ashamed of it. I'd be, I'd be a bit embarrassed if you found out about it. That's probably sin. Maybe I got angry and I shouldn't have done. Maybe I lost my rag. Maybe I didn't encourage someone when I should have done. That's sin. And so what, what the verse here is saying is, while we were caught up in all of that, Christ died for us. He became that perfect lamb, the Passover lamb, to cleanse us. 1 John 4, this is one of the letters that's at the end of the New Testament. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our... To, this was a, we had a price to pay, we couldn't pay it. Oh, wow. But we're going to see this story that actually Jesus will pay in our place. I mean, I can't imagine. What's the biggest bill you've ever faced? Don't shout it out now. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not offering to pay your financial bills. But this is way, way bigger before God. And you think, man, I can't do it. Jesus is prepared to pay your price. We know that the Father had put all things under his power. You see, some people think this was all a horrible mistake. Some people even think, oh, the death of Jesus. Well, actually, didn't it just all go horribly wrong? I mean, he was a good guy. He said lots of good things. He did lots of nice things. But suddenly it went wrong. No, this was the Father's plan. He takes off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. I, I don't want to preach on this again this week because I preached on it last week and I, I'm sure Mark's put it on the uh, internet, which he serves us so well by doing. But Jesus, who being in very nature God, we read in Philippians, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. And so suddenly we find Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now, we know that, like, as I said, you know, it, it wasn't just this sort of thing, oh, it's a nice thing to do. Oh, it was a little pampering, you know what I'm saying, a little pedicure just to make you feel nice at the end. No, no, this was, this was a cleansing. This was a removing of dirt. But even here, we find a warning, and I'd like to bring that to us this morning. Judas had his feet washed, but actually wasn't saved. The outward symbol would not save him. And I think the danger is sometimes we can think the outward symbol would save us. We can think, oh, well, actually, if I, if I do the things right on the external, then maybe I'll be right with God. Judas could have thought, well, Jesus washed my feet, I'm cleansed. But actually, in his heart, we know there was guilt. Jesus is not coming just to try and wash the outside. Jesus wants to change the heart. And I think this is a, a, a picture that we need to look at. There's another desire. I love the fact that these stories are so open and honest. I mean, if I was writing it, I would have left a few of the details out. I certainly wouldn't have admitted what Peter admitted. You see, what we find with Peter is that pride almost kept him from receiving the washing of Jesus. Jesus says, actually, I want to wash you. And, and Peter says, no, no, no. And I wonder even this morning if there's some people that you think, Jesus would love to wash you. But you think, no. Pride holds us back from saying, actually, Jesus, I need you. Even now, you know, when I said to you, oh, the biggest thing that you could think about, you think, well, if I work my whole life, maybe I could pay it off. No, you don't understand. The gospel, you know, tells you you're worse than you thought and more love than you could imagine. We could never pay this bill off. But sometimes in our pride, we think, oh, no, no, I'll be okay. Don't worry about me. Look at the person next to me. Maybe, no, no, there's not meant to be pride here. So Jesus says a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. It's almost like what Jesus accomplished on the cross deals with it completely. And I, I want to be careful that I don't over-egg the example, but I do think we need to come daily and say sorry for things we've done wrong. And actually, many of us that say we're Christians in the room, it's still good to come and, and confess, actually, I did do that today. 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us from all unrighteousness. Oh, wow. Isn't that encouraging? Oh, Father, I'm sorry. Oh, even now, I'm really sorry for that. Please forgive me. It's done. He runs like a father, as we heard earlier, wraps that around us. There's this picture of us being cleansed. Do you recognize your need to be washed by God? Have you ever been washed by him? What does it mean? He's not here today. Jesus is not here. You know what I'm saying? You think, oh, I, I often thought, no, so, but actually, I believe he is here. And if you recognize your need, and if you believe that Jesus died for you and that he rose again, if you say sorry for what you have done wrong and ask for his forgiveness, he could wash you today. I believe that. I mean, that's the most exciting thing I could possibly, possibly share with you. And if you've never 
received that, I would encourage you. Speak to me. Speak to Anna. We would love to pray with you today. When we're breaking bread, you might say, oh, I need to pray about that. That's the first thing I want to bring out the picture. The second thing I want to bring out is this. It is a model of how to serve. I don't know about you. I mean, I, I, I probably have too much time on my hands. I don't want to admit that kind of stuff. Because when I read a book like this, if I was Jesus Christ, I would have the hallelujah chorus blasting out wherever I went. You know, I was like, hallelujah, hallelujah, king of kings, lord of lords. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I was watching on YouTube. You know, I mean, I'm an emotional guy. I don't mind admitting that. And I couldn't help but cry. And they just started going, hallelujah, hallelujah. I mean, you know, I don't know. If, if I had been Jesus, I probably would have had speakers on the side of my clothes. So as I walked down the street, I'd have had the hallelujah chorus going. I'd like people to realize that. Now, we might not be quite that vain, but I wonder if, if you fall into this bracket. I'm self-sufficient. I'll get by by the skin of my teeth. I wonder if you fall into the bracket of, oh, actually, I can do more than self-sufficient. I'm spectacular. You want to see what I can do in life. Or maybe you get fall into the trap of, actually, I, I don't know if that or that, but I'm the boss and I know what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. You see, so many of us, and we might not admit the words of Madonna, the singer, songwriter, and actress, but she said this, I have the same goal I've, ever, I've, I've had ever since I was a little girl. I want to rule the world. You know, it's almost like I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to achieve my thing. That's very much the way we grow up, whether it's sufficiency, whether it's the spectacular, whether it's, whether it's the powerful. But Jesus brings this challenge. And it's elsewhere. We can see it in Matthew 20 and verse 25. Jesus called them, that's the disciples, together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first amongst you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I feel challenged by this because the danger is I've taken that passage and thought, okay, it's servant leadership. Is that what we're talking about? Actually, we're talking servant leadership. I'm not sure... That, that is what Jesus ever brought. I don't think he put the two words together. I think he said, come and serve. In fact, if I read about the Messiah in the Bible, what do I hear about serving? Well, Isaiah says it's the suffering servant. But even now, the danger is I could take this out and suddenly turn it into something. Well, it's, it's my style of leadership. No, actually, I think actually he's saying it's a model of how to live. Luke tells us about this. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four people that are writing about the account of Jesus' life. He tells us that when the disciples had turned up for this meal, they'd been arguing amongst themselves, who's the greatest? They were going, oh, no, no, I think you're very impressive. I think you serve really well. You're the greatest. Oh, no, I think you're the greatest because actually you've been carrying the master's cloak for the... No, no, you're the greatest because you handle the money for them. They were saying, I'm the greatest. So the disciples had turned up, it tells in Luke 24, a dispute had arisen amongst them as to who is to be considered the greatest. So this is how the picture occurs. <laughs> it's all about me. 
This is, this is what the store is happening. I find it gutting, don't you? Why didn't one of the disciples realize, hey, 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 there's no slave at the door. Hang on, look, just wait, I'll do that. But they hadn't. Because they've been so wrapped up in thinking, no, 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 it's about me. I don't do that job. But the disciples are thinking about themselves. I, mean, I, I find it shocking. And now I've read the story, I think, oh, if I'd have been there, hopefully I'd have got in first. I probably would have gone along with the disciples. So they'd all obviously come in and sat down to eat. There's some talk about whether they laid down, but they they turned up to eat the meal together. No one had stopped to think the servant's missing. No one had thought, I'll get up and I will do it. They probably thought, oh, that's somebody else's job. It's certainly not my job. Oh. Can we be like that? Can I be like that? What about Jesus? Having loved his own who are in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. See, we can miss this, but why did Jesus serve? Because he loved. I'm not saying that I counted this. I did read some books for this sermon. But they reckon that the word love is only used six times in the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John. What did I tell you? That was the first half. That's when he was talking all about who Jesus is, signs and crowds. They reckon that the word love, some of you don't count while I'm preaching, check it this afternoon, is used 31 times just from chapter 13 to 17 when he's addressing the disciples. Why did he serve? Oh, because he loved. Who did he love? He loved them. I think, oh God, who do I love? Do I love me? Or do I love you? If I'm talking about a healthy church, do I get caught up in this thing of love? This is love portrayed, despite it being love betrayed. He was prepared to love Judas despite the fact that he knew Judas had already decided to get him murdered. Henri Nguyen, he's a Dutch Catholic priest, professor and theologian, said this, in order to be of service to others, we have to die to them. That is, we have to give up measuring our meaning and value with the yardstick of others. Then we become free to become compassionate. The the danger is that we don't often love enough because we're measuring ourselves compared to other people. Jesus, we know, is secure in who he is. It tells us in verse 3, he knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. You see, because he was secure, he was happy to serve in love. As Christians, this is why we're doing healthy church on the back of the gospel revolution. There was a little bit of thought that went into that, you know what I'm saying? You can be totally secure that God loves you. Why? Because he runs to you with a cloak. And he doesn't say, you've done well. He says, I love you because I love you because I love you. I'm a father who puts this robe around you. I love you. You think, oh, but what have I done this week? He says, I love you. Oh, how I love you. That's the gospel. So then when you are secure in that, you don't get your service to form some identity. It flows out of who you are. 
In fact, it would be false not to serve. Jesus initiates the serving. He does not have to be asked. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. I've often told you um, I'm one of three boys. I'm the middle one. I've got an older brother and a younger brother. You know, bless him. My mum's trying to bring up the three of us, trying to, you know, instill some values. I remember back now, you know, she, you know, we didn't have a dishwasher. When I was a kid, you barely had dishes, but let's not go there. The reality was, you know, you, you take turns in washing up and drying up. You know, it would be like after dinner, my mum's cooked the dinner, and she'd say, oh, oh, whose turn is it to wash up today? And we could always remember that it wasn't ours. No, it's not my turn, it's Phil's turn. No, no, it's not my turn, it's Steve's turn. You see, we weren't, we weren't jumping up saying, oh, please, let me wash up. We could always think of an excuse. Jesus isn't holding back. He doesn't say, oh, it's not my turn. He doesn't say, come on then. Think of a number, one to five. Oh, five. Oh, it's you. I was thinking five, it's your turn to wash up. He doesn't try and dob somebody else into it. It's not anything like that. Jesus says, I will do it. Surely, actually, in this room, the least likely. So I did read about this foot washing, and there is some incidences. I, I mentioned that you're not supposed to be a Jewish slave to do it. There are some incidences of honor that a child would do it for their parent, that a wife would do it for their husband, that a pupil would do it for their teacher. There is no example anywhere of the master doing it for anyone else. This was totally, totally revolutionary. Jesus gets up. He had nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. He just says, I will do it. I said last week, if we're going to be real community, we've got to make ourselves vulnerable. I think if we're going to serve other people, we're going to let them serve us sometimes. Don't say no if somebody offers to serve you. If someone says, hey, look, I'd love to come around and help out, willingly accept it. Jesus then gives this model of serving. Verse 12, he'd finished washing their feet. He put on his clothes, returned to his place and said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher, that's great, and Lord, that's even better. And yet I have set the example of washing one another's feet. So, this morning, oh, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Now, what I want to ask is, is this a practice that we should do as a church? So, now, you see, church meetings are going to get even longer. Because not only are we going to come and sing, because the Bible tells us it's good to sing and clap and dance and raise our hands. Not only are we going to listen to the word, because that's really important. Not only are we going to break bread, because Jesus said whenever you meet together, it's great to break bread. We're going to wash everyone's feet every Sunday. Yeah, suddenly people think, oh God, I wish I hadn't worn my tights, and that's just the guys. You know, I'm saying there's this thing, are we really going to wash one another's feet? I don't think that this was meant to be something instituted as an example to be copied. You see, the radical thing wasn't the action, the radical thing was the person who did it. And so it was the heart behind it that says, I will serve. And so I don't think that this is something that we've necessarily got to just copy per se and suddenly say, right, you know, if you come to the quiz night, we're going to wash all your feet. No, no. But I think it's a heart that we take away, that we live with. There's a Danish proverb I read this week. 
What you are is God's gift to you. What you do with yourself is your gift to God. There's almost this challenge, isn't there? How are we going to live? And Jesus, in case you're not clear about this, verse 17, I found this fascinating. Now that you know these things, what's it say? You'd be blessed if you do them. I mean, golly, how how in your face is that? You see, Christianity is not meant to be a sort of a way just in improving ourselves. You know, so the danger is we can think the gospel means I have just got a, a nicer marriage or a nicer job or, or better kids. Christianity changes our very heart, our very worldview that we think, oh, how can I serve? John Piper, who's a pastor and author in the States, he says, for his sake and for your joy, go low. I quite like that. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm not saying you've nicked but he's almost saying we must be those that serve. You see, I don't know about you, I think, well, if Jesus was here this morning, I would willingly serve him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not to watch anything, but I think, you know, if Jesus was turning up, yeah, you want a costa? I'll go and get your costa, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you need a lift somewhere? I'll give you a lift, Jesus. I'm sorry that, no, in fact, I'm going to clean the car. I'm getting Jesus in the car. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to get it washed out. I'm going to get it in fact. Yeah, you need somewhere to stay? Nikki, you're in the shed. Jesus, you can have our bed. You know what I'm saying? I, why wouldn't I do anything for Jesus? I think the challenge Jesus says is, would you treat one another the way you treat me? And so it's not what I would do that for him. He's saying, I want you to do it for one another. John Stott, he was an English Christian leader, Anglican cleric. He said this, humility is a universal Christian virtue to be expressed through sincere and costly service of others in Christ's name. You see, we might think, oh, I'm not like Madonna. I'm never going to say I want the rule of the world. But actually, the way we live, do we honestly think, I want to serve you? I want to serve you. I will serve you. This, to me, if we're going to be a healthy church, we need to take this on. William Barclay, I haven't got this quote up. He was a Church of Scotland minister. He said, there is no one closer to man than the man who is close to God. It's almost like saying, God, the more we understand the gospel, the closer we get to God, the closer we become to one another. We can't separate the two out. We can't have this super spirituality that's out there that means I won't wash your feet. John Wesley, I, I've got this one up. He was the founding father of the Methodist Church. Not that that was intention, but that's how history went. He said this, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places that you can, at all the times you can, to all the people that you can, as long as you ever can. I think, oh, I would love us to have that, that, that attitude in this church. If we're thinking about a healthy church, I'm thinking, how do we genuinely serve? Now, I know that there are folk in here that do serve week by week. And I'm, I am grateful for that, truly grateful. I just want to keep banging the drum. Come on, we want to see a healthy church. I would say that if this is your church, then I would love you to serve. If this is, you say, actually, I can't redeem in my home. You know, I feel like, yeah, I've been around, I've had a little look, but now this is my church. Then I would encourage you to serve. I'd encourage you to serve on a Sunday. 
If you lead a Sunday team, I'd like you to stand right now. So that could be set up, could be kids, it could be that you unwelcome. If you, if you lead one of these teams, I would love you to speak to these folk today. Say, hey, I would love to get involved in this. I'd love to be involved with welcome. There's John at the back. I'd love to be involved with kids. I'd love to be involved with the words or the youth or the setup. I'd love us to say, and I'm going to get involved with the tots. Thank you, guys and girls. Appreciate what you do. I would say, this is our challenge. How do I get involved? Guys, I consider it a privilege to speak to you. Please, my heart is for you. I want to throw down the challenge. Have we slipped into consumer Christianity? Well, I'll go along to Redeemer as long as they sing the songs I like listening to. I'll go along as long as they meet my needs. You might not agree with this statement. I'm not even sure if I agree with it. They'll probably cut it off the tape anyway. I don't think the church is meant to meet your needs. I think Jesus meets your needs. The church is where you serve. And I think sometimes our danger is we approach the church and think the church is going to meet my needs. Well, you know, I mean, if you preach the kind of sermons I like, I'm coming back. But if not, I think I'm going to go somewhere else. This could be dangerous. Um, John's a nice guy. Here, say some nice things to you as you leave. I just want to be honest. I say, how do we genuinely get this? We are called to serve. Joyce Meyer, humility is not something that comes naturally, but is a cardinal virtue, central, important, that should be pursued more than any other. I know the band will be coming back in just a moment. But before we we just rush on, I want to say, what's God saying to you? What do you feel this morning God is saying? It could be, to be honest, I saw one of those people stood, I'm going to go up and offer to serve. Great. It could be, if you're really honest, you think, I'm not prepared to serve because I'm too busy. I sometimes think that's almost like a, a bit like Peter. No, no, my pride keeps me back from engaging with Jesus. And I guess I'm just going to kindly say, is that really how you want to live your life? I'm, I'm too busy, I can't fit it in. Or it may be others that are here this morning. And if you're really honest, you think, Pete, I've served for years. It, it, not only in this church, but, you know, before I moved here to Ealing, I served in another church. In fact, I think I've served for decades. I've just got tired. When's someone going to serve me? And you might say, well, that, that was great. And I did that enthusiastically for the first week, month, year. But now I suddenly think, oh, God, when's someone going to meet my needs? I would like to encourage us. No one is entirely up to you. If you feel challenged, hey, to be a healthy church, I've got to serve, then I'm going to encourage you just to kneel where you are. Now, maybe you're already serving. You think, actually, just like the offering, I put in each week, but actually today I make something. Maybe you just think, I'm just going to kneel right where I am and say, actually, Jesus, again, I submit myself to serving for you. Maybe you think, I found this a challenge. Just take a moment between you and God.
Jesus, I feel overwhelmed that if you were here now, you'd wash my feet because that's the life you lived. Partly I feel I want to say sorry because I'm probably like the disciples that would be laying down thinking, who's going to wash my feet? Who forgot to order the servant? Jesus, we do want to come to you this morning. I pray you'd keep us fresh in serving you. I pray you'd forgive us when we've looked for all we need in the church, when we should look for it in you. Lord, we know the church will never satisfy like you satisfy. I pray you'd forgive us maybe when we've got a little bit hard. We think I've served long enough. My stage of life, my kids, I I haven't got any time to do it. I pray, Jesus, that we'll be a healthy church because... We will serve one another for the example that you set for us. Jesus, we do want to kneel before you now. Genuinely kneel and say, Jesus, it is all about you. Forgive us when we become proud, self-sufficient, about our own power. Jesus, we kneel before you and say we do want to live all for your glory. In Jesus' name. I'm sure the band will start to play. I just encourage you, not out loud, just pray. Pray your heart to God right now. Whether you feel he's spoken to you in these words, just pray back to him.